Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is my good friend, licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparo. You can find him at catholictherapist.com. He has been quite the traveler lately, everywhere from Budapest to Turin, Italy. He is working with the international therapeutic community in defending therapeutic choice and especially helping to be on the forefront of working with people who experience same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, a very hot topic and controversial issue today. Many of us have friends, family members, peers, or even oh, people in the media where we're hearing these stories about a sudden transgender identity and then they change their mind or maybe they go through with uh, so-called cross-sex hormones, puberty blocking drugs, maybe even a so-called gender affirmation surgery. You can't change your sex. You can't change gender. Um, you can do plastic reconstructive surgery, but none of that's possible. So we're going to be discussing later on during the show his response to the constitutional amendments in California, Michigan, and Mer- and Vermont that are opening the door to allow for minors without parental notification or parental consent to go through with everything from sterilization, sex hormones, puberty blockers, so-called sex changes. And this has all been passed through the constitutional amendments voted on this past week in California, Michigan, and Vermont, um, specifically on the topic of abortion and so-called reproductive rights. Many people didn't realize this is what they were voting for, and many people would not have voted for these constitutional amendments had they actually known. This was hidden language and not uh, candidly shared in the public campaigning for these propositions. So we'll talk about his response as a therapist and we'll talk about really serving the client, the individual who's struggling with anything from same-sex attraction to gender issues. We know as Catholics, our perspective in the Catholic Church is that there's male and female. We're one or the other. God created us this way. Chromosomes, hormones, bodily anatomy, physiology, all of this orients toward maleness or femaleness. We're going to talk about serving people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and gender issues. Uh, Part of the healing and the real resources that are out there and what's happening in the international community with regard to defending therapeutic choice when it comes to, hey, maybe I'm experiencing, let's say, same-sex attraction, but I want to live in accord with my Catholic faith that says, It's one thing to have an attraction, it's another thing to act on it. And I want to work on making sure that I'm not acting in a way that is sinful. We're all called to chastity. So we'll be unpacking that with licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparo today on Trending. Michael, before we do, let's talk about some fun things. You've been everywhere from Budapest, which we're going to talk a little bit about that conference later, to Turin, Italy. You're traveling all over Europe, especially some of the most holy places 
in the Catholic Church's history and where the saints have traveled before us. Tell me a little bit about how this trip has impacted you, maybe some of those holy sites that have stood out for you. Oh my goodness, where to start? So I'm just so grateful I have the opportunity to do some traveling right now. And I am excited to share that there are a plethora of beautiful churches throughout Italy. I have been to some incredible churches in Sicily, in Torino, Italy. I'm also going to um, next week Rome, and I'm so excited, Timory. I get to go. I am so blessed to get to go to St. Peter's and have Mass next Thursday in Rome at St. Peter's with a friend of a friend who's a priest there. And Timory, I can't even tell you how excited I am. I am if if it all works out according to the plan, I get to go to the papal audience on Wednesday next week with Pope Francis. So there's still a chance it doesn't work because the tickets get dispersed on the day of based on reservations, but I might actually get to be in the audience with Pope Francis next week. I'm so excited for you, Michael. You have been a champion for our Catholic faith in the areas of therapy and in the midst of the craziness of the sexual revolution. So to have that time to go and be in some of the most holy places in our church uh, and to be able to see these churches and meet uh, and possibly even meet the Pope, what a special time for you to be edified in the work that you are doing. Uh, Tell me a little bit about where you're at now. I know you're in Turin, Italy, which is where the Shroud of Turin is. Have you had any exposure to the Shroud of Turin? How is that a part of the culture there? in Turin? That's a great question. So the shroud, I believe, only comes out once every 10 years or so. You'd have to look up the exact number of years. But there are amazing churches here built around that devotion. And one of the churches I went to yesterday had the most incredible marble statues for side altars throughout the church. And one of the things you find that I have found, at least in Italy, is the history of the architecture and art of the churches is so incredibly crafted to turn our eyes and our minds and our hearts to heavenly things. It opens up this sense of wonder and awe and beauty, and it really transforms the experience in a way that many churches in the United States just do not compare. And it's not to dismiss (laughs) the churches in the United States. Some of them are beautiful as well, but the history and the depth of the art and architecture here are, are stunning. And in Turin, even one of the smaller churches I stumbled into an entire side altar of the church was devoted to replicas of the shroud, of the shroud of turn that were displayed in large manner above a particular altar. So I see here that the uh, architecture and art reflects the devotion to that particular beautiful part of our our faith. And I'm no expert in the Shroud of Turin, but I have heard Father Robert Spitzer speak on it in a very exciting way. So if your listeners ever want to hear Father Robert Spitzer talk about that, he has some awesome lectures on the Shroud of Turin and the miracles around it. He's actually been here on Trending. I'll have to post a link of um, some of the conversations we've had where he's unpacked the scientific evidence for the Shroud of Turin. And if you don't know what the Shroud of Turin is, that is one of the burial cloths that would have wrapped to Jesus Christ uh, in that he would have been wrapped in when he was laid in the tomb for those few days. And the, the cloth actually covers his back, back side of his body as well as the front side. And it has this perfect imprint of um, stains of his body from oils to blood. And many um, scientific proofs have been done on it, even compared side by side with Eucharistic miracles. And we have things such as the same blood type, um, the historicity 
see that it could only date back to this particular time when Christ was alive and also that time in geographically where he was at in the Middle East. So it's incredible. I'll include a link in the episode notes for today's show as well as on social media if you'd like to check that out because it's actually been one of my favorite conversations with Father Robert Spitzer. And tell me a little bit about as you've been there. So, you know, you've had exposure to um, a lot of the replicas of the relic of the Shroud of Turin there in Turin, Italy. Michael, what other relics or maybe saints have you encountered on your journey? That's a great point. So many of these churches have relics from saints as early back as the time of Jesus. So at the Sicilian Cathedral in Palermo, the Cathedral of Palermo, they actually have a relic of St. Mary Magdalene and among many others around their cathedral that you can you know, pray and ask for the saint's intercession and be in the presence of these relics. And there are also fantastically interesting and sad stories about martyrs in various towns in Italy, for instance, in the region of Puglia region in the southeast, kind of the heel of the boot. There's a famous church of the martyrs in the southeast region where they have the bones of eight of several hundred martyrs who died defending a church there. And they're all the martyrs bones are stacked in an altar in and around the statue of the Virgin Mary holding Jesus. And you see them all stacked up behind her in rows. It is something like you'll never see in the United States. Like it's shocking and interesting (laughs) and inspiring, but yeah, they have the bones of martyrs on display at some of these churches and it's, I've never seen anything like it. I'm looking up an image of this now. It's one of those moments that kind of <laughs> makes me laugh and cringe in our Catholic faith uh, because we have a lot of morbid elements to our faith and the historicity and the relics. I remember um, the first time when I had the opportunity to go to Italy once and here we are and we're going to this church and they have an incorruptible saint and it's just really gross looking in my opinion but at the Mm -hmm. same time part of the body has um, not fully decayed and I was expecting this like perfectly pristine uh, saint that looks like you know they're living but just asleep and some of them are uh, but some of them are partially incorruptible uh, but it's speaks to the miracle of God sometimes allowing for these little things that are actually great things to occur. But this uh, altar that you're talking about with these bones that are built up, what was kind of the spiritual significance to you of seeing this morbid altar of skulls and bones of martyrs there on the altar making up that altar piece? It's in the city of Otranto, O-T-R-A-N-T-O, Italy. So if any listeners want to look it up, it's the city of Otranto, and it's a thousand-year-old church. And before I answer your first question, on the floor of that church, in the main floor, there is an almost 1,000-year-old mosaic that is still in place. That is the story of the fall of man and the story of the Bible. On the floor of the entire church is covered in this almost 1,000-year-old mosaic. So even putting my hand to the floor of the tiles, knowing that people laid these tiles with grace and with sacrifice, what a blessing, what a gift from God to show us his love for us through the preservation of these incredible spaces. And by the time after seeing that mosaic, my heart and mind are attuned to the beauty of the work of these people. And then to go into the chapel and see the Virgin Mary surrounded by the bones of these martyrs, it certainly was humbling. And it reminded me of the phrase, uh, the Knights of Columbus use it a lot, actually. It's memento mori tempus fugit. Remember your death, live well. So it's certainly shocking, but at the same time, 
freeing because we can remember our death in the light of Christ and his resurrection. And that, those bones are not the same as the same the type of bones you would see on a haunted house. They're not there to scare. They're there to inspire you that these people died for something bigger than themselves, or that's what martyrs die for, for something eternal, something bigger than themselves, and the trust of the resurrection. Remember your death. I love that reminder. And I think that's part of the reason why we're talking about the work we are today, which I'd like to transition into. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. My dear friend, Michael Gasparro is here with me. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he is at the forefront of addressing the cultural uh, topic of the time as well as you know the difficult topic that many people are going through and that is uh, same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria you know we hear a lot about um, you know the gay movement and transgenderism Michael here since you've been gone we have had in California Michigan and Vermont uh, constitutional amendments on abortion that horrifically passed people voted for late-term abortion abortion on demand infanticide i don't think people knew what they were voting for the campaigns were very misleading but what came out in the final weeks leading up to the election was that under so-called reproductive rights and individual rights language in these constitutional amendments they're actually allowing for the funding as well as the right for minors of any age my two-year-old could or a 15-year-old could go through with sterilization receiving puberty blocking drugs that permanently block puberty and the natural development of the body cross-sex hormones and so-called gender affirmation surgery or what used to be known as sex changes you can't change your sex uh, you can use a plastic reconstructive surgeon but i wanted to get your thoughts in response to these constitutional amendments you work with adults you work with minors who are struggling with gender dysphoria and same-sex attraction What's your response as a therapist, seeing that this is something that, one, um, is already being done in the culture, but two, is now being done and allowed without any parental notification or consent? Well, it doesn't surprise me because it's part of this ongoing, it's in degrees over time, this ongoing push for this with minors. And to be clear, I actually don't work with minors, mostly because there are laws in the state of California that make it very difficult to work with minors who struggle with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. So I, I predominantly work with adults. I do work with some children for other issues, but this is what the laws do. They create barriers for therapists because there are potential punishments legally and uh, from professional organizations for engaging with therapy to try to help minors who would like support to live according to their faith or like support in resolving their gender dysphoria. So that's one of the things I'm actually very passionate about is trying to repeal these laws which are restrictive for therapists and remove therapeutic choice from minors. But the ironic thing is while they have laws in the books to restrict children from receiving healthy, truly authentically Catholic affirming therapy as minors, they still now broaden the access to harmful, must stay gay and must stay trans type therapies, which are now the accepted norm. So it's already been in place in California that minors can receive sexual uh, counseling from Planned Parenthood and abortion procedures as we know without parental consent and this is the logical next step although it's truly insane that you can include even as absurd of the term of reproductive rights may be that you could then go even further to include gender confirming care i.e cross-sex hormones and sterilization puberty blockers under that umbrella term 
I mean, that's about as crazy as it gets. I, I truly don't even know what to say at, at a certain point. It's shocking, Michael, and it's absolutely diabolical that we are at this point in history where we've seen the barbaric killing of children through abortion, that people have now voted for that. And again, I don't, I know people don't realize what they voted for, for abortion on demand, all nine months of a woman's pregnancy through infanticide, and then including this so-called gender-confirming care from puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, to so-called sex changes. They did not realize this is what they were voting for. I know we're going to see this uh, go to the courts and be challenged in the courts, um, but you mentioned, Michael, how we have this harmful must-stay-gay and must-stay-trans uh policy, especially with minors in terms of therapy and services in the school systems. I hear from teachers all the time who are terrified uh, in terms of how they're going to address these kids in their classrooms who are struggling with a, a gender identity crisis. And we were just joined a couple weeks ago here by a young man by the name of Abel Garcia, who uh, has actually struggled with this. He struggled with gender dysphoria, more so kind of the uh, aversion to anything that, uh, with regards to like being a man. He didn't like the idea of being a man. And he shared his story. And we'll post a link in the episode notes as well as online. But part of what stood out to me is that when he finally at 19 decides to go and see a therapist, the therapist immediately gives him this letter to start a um, transition chemically, medically, and immediately just starts affirming him in terms of a transgender identity as a woman. And I was very impressed to hear, you know, at 19 years old, Abel was able to ask that question, why are you just automatically affirming me? Why are you doing this? And the response from the therapist was that um, she didn't want to block him. Like she didn't want, she used a specific um, phrase, I don't remember what it was, to stonewall him or something from entering into, you know, that identity that he wanted. She wanted to just usher him right in. And that's what's so scary about um, these constitutional amendments is that both through therapy and now through medical, and they're not medical interventions, they're damaging hormones and surgeries that we're allowing for the lives of young people to be completely altered and manipulated without any parental notification or consent. Can you speak a little bit to why parents um, are really the people who are in the best interest of their children, you know, most ideally, and helping to navigate these issues and at least be informed, especially as a therapist? And to further that, before I answer your question, why we should respect the conscience of children who want to live according to their faith and their biological reality. And also, if we're going to, to say that the children have the right to self-determination, it still should be under the umbrella or under the aegis of the reality that they can't totally self-determine at that age either way. So I do want to advocate for children's right to choose treatment that's helpful for them if it's Catholic and healthy treatment, but we should as adults put limits on the kind of treatment children can receive because self-determination isn't possible as a minor in its totality because we need to grow up and our minds need to mature in order to determine what's truly best for ourselves. So there's a delicate balance between honoring the determination of children and their desire to seek care, but also guiding them as responsible adults with an anchored in a moral code. And for parents, as Catholics, we believe you're first and foremost, the primary place where children need to learn and be educated in the school of love. What does it mean to be human? 
What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? And the dynamic and the relationships between mom and dad and siblings and mom to children and dad to children, that's the place where we work that out and we learn it. The state does not know better than you. I'm going to say that again for the people in the cheap seats. The state does not know better than you. And if you are a person who has your children in public school, I'm not saying they shouldn't be in public school, but I'm telling you the public schools in California, for instance, are leaning more towards undermining parental rights when it comes to certain topics like sexuality, gender, religion, etc. So whether or not your kids are in private school, homeschool, or public school, remember this, you are the de facto best influences on your children unless something extreme has proved to the church or the state otherwise. And our role as church is to support other families and one another in encouraging the development of that healthy, normal attitude towards maleness and femaleness within the family and then within the church and then within the broader society. Michael, this is such an important topic and one that I know you and I have unpacked of how to pass on, you know, and instill in your children maleness and femaleness. I'll post a LinkedIn episode you and I did a little while ago discussing that because I think sometimes parents, you know, don't know. Maybe you as a parent, as an adult, didn't have present parents. And so you and you maybe are a little uncomfortable in your own identity as a mother or a father, as a man or a woman. All of us have various insecurities and unfortunately that can be passed on sometimes to our children or just the lack of time and hours and moments in the day and so I'll post a link as well to that episode that we did but I just want to really focus in on a few things you said the state does not know better than you as a parent about your child um we need to be warned about public schools and what's happening right now, especially in California, but truly all over the nation. I'm hearing about this everywhere from Ohio to even Tennessee, um, where public schools are really undermining parents, hiding and lying to parents about their children's identity and ushering kids into being groomed into a trans or any form of LGBTQ identity. And I have been seeing firsthand uh, so many parents who heroically, Michael, are choosing different options that are not easy when it comes to education. Whether it's really, really sacrificing for a very good private school where they've confirmed and they trust the private school teachers or many, and I've seen this in droves, a massive exodus from the public school system and going and being ushered into uh, homeschooling. I'm amazed. You know, I, I'm homeschooled. I was homeschooled. You know, you get flack for being homeschooled. You got to socialize your kid as well. Uh, but I'm really impressed by these parents, moms and dads who are making the sacrifices, coming down to one income, adapting the type of work they do, because our kids' lives matter. And as you emphasized, Michael, the Catholic Church's teaching is very clear. We as parents are the primary educators, role models, and examples to our children, and we pass on what femininity looks like, what masculinity looks like, how to be excellent human beings who love our Lord and serve Him. So I'm going to come back in just a moment with licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gitsparrow. You can find him on catholictherapist.com. I'll post a link in the episode notes as well as on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. If you have a question for Michael as well, I'm happy to take it. Just send it to me on social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we're also tagging Michael, especially on Instagram. We're going 
we're going to come back talking about how Michael as a therapist serves clients, especially struggling with gender issues, what some of the best courses of therapy and treatment are. And we'll talk about the international movement, an international movement defending therapeutic choice uh, for people who are experiencing same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, and who want to live in accord with their faith or don't want to just be affirmed as a woman when they're really biologically a man. I'll be right back here on Trending talking about sound perspective from faith and science on this important LGBTQ issue. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back. Joining me is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. We're talking about the massive cultural debate and challenge right now of the LGBTQ ideology, uh, identity crisis. We're seeing many young people more than ever before identifying as transgender uh, and experiencing same-sex attraction. It's a real issue that needs to be addressed and as Catholics we're called to fall in line with the Catholic Church's teaching that there is such a thing as male and female. You can't change your sex. doesn't matter what plastic reconstructive surgery you have. It doesn't matter what cross-sex hormone you take. That male is male and female is female. These are God-given identities and that biology sociology, physiology, neuroscience all confirm this. Michael, you work as a licensed marriage and family therapist on the forefront of this issue. One of the things that I'd like to discuss today is really how you serve your clients who are struggling um, with this challenge of LGBTQ identity and um, how often this group of people um, like many of us, are being underserved when it comes to actually treating what's going on. When people talk about this issue, there's the twofold response of the church. There's the big picture response of the issue at writ large for the community, for society, and then there's the individual. So there's the philosophy and the principles and the theology and the sociological implications, and then there's the person in front of me who's made in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And the problem is compassion is only authentic when it's anchored in truth. So when I have people come to me that are struggling, that suffer from either some kind of gender dysphoria or gender identity deficit, a sense of not being man enough or female enough, or perhaps that even have struggled with same-sex attraction, it is compassionate to meet them where they are, to accept them with sensitivity and respect. It is not compassionate to dismiss their conscience. If somebody does not have a conscience conflict about this issue, they're probably not coming to me for therapy. But even still, your role as a family member or friend, if they've embraced a gay identity, should still be to accept them with compassion, sensitivity, and respect. So you do not have to wait until they conform their heart and mind to the teachings of the church to show them the love and dignity they deserve and must be shown as a Christian. At the same time, you don't have to abandon your morals or your principles. And you and I have talked a lot about that, Timory, how we have to wrestle with that tension we hold within people that we love in our lives and even ourselves when we don't live up, when I don't live up to my hopes and dreams for my life or my conscience according to my Catholic faith. Absolutely. I even just think I've shared it before. You know, I have uh, multiple extended family members who have lived a same-sex lifestyle and 
you know, from the time I was very young, I also grew up in the dancing world, and there was always a very clear way I was taught my upbringing that, you know, these are members of our family, we love them, we respect them, you know, they're here with us for holidays and, you know, helping with, you know, day-to-day things that occur and doctor's appointments and, you know, one of my really dear uncles, we just marked the anniversary of his death two years ago, was an incredibly talented dancer, you know, taught um, internationally, taught one of the largest ballet companies in in Germany, and he taught and trained me to be, you know, the dancer that I was, and, you know, it was always clearly taught this love and respect that occurred within our family, um, but it was also always very clear uh, within our home without ever shaming or anything within the context of, you know, our my relationship with my parents of what was right and what was wrong, what was um, different and that it wasn't necessarily being done right and without ever, you know, being a judgmental perspective. But I saw, you know, to the end of his days, you know, this was someone who died very alone because of the lack of um, family connections at the end of his life and the direction that he did take in many ways, um, both with his health, you know, the way he was interacting uh, physically, as well as in terms of uh, the relationships that he chose to have. Uh, So I think it's a very delicate topic that we have to be able to see that respect and sensitivity and compassion you're talking about, Michael, but where you also mentioned the importance of not just dismissing a person's a person's conscience or dismissing the wrongness of the situation. Well, especially because as you asked me, Timur, you know, how do I work with people in therapy? And one of the ways is through addressing relational and emotional and spiritual trauma. And many people, our sexuality develops over time. Our, our attentiveness to our sexual urges is something that gets integrated. Everybody has to do take that journey of slowly, gently, patiently over time, integrating their sexuality with their conscience. And that's the call, universal call to chastity. But nobody does that perfectly other than I probably the Virgin Mary, we know. No human does that perfectly. God is patient. And for many people, that process, that natural developmental process of developing their sexual desires and their attractions and the process of in, influencing their virtue of chastity and work and developing that virtue are heavily, heavily influenced by a variety of traumas. Everything I see in my practice from many people with sexual abuse, many people with emotional abuse, emotional neglect, peer bullying, physical issues, which can include nutrition or other kinds of um, anxiety problems. And so complex are the variety of factors that the church has acknowledged many decades the variety of factors are not perfectly known that contribute to the development of same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, but we know many of them exist. And so what we do in therapy, if people that come to me for therapy, or what many people do in ministries, Timory, who are there to help find healing through spiritual support, is to address underlying spiritual, emotional, and psychological traumas and wounds and needs, unmet emotional needs, And sometimes that helps people experience a shift in their sexual attractions as a result of that, or it just helps them better understand the origins and the nature of their sexual issues, which can help them find either healing for those issues or better ability to integrate those temptations and struggles with their conscience towards a happier life, towards less sin. And, you know, you mentioned your friend, part of the reason that the moral teachings exist is to guide us 
guide our urge of happiness towards its greatest good, which is God. And so these are, the moral life is the happy life. These are, I always think we're losing the argument when we lose sight of that. We got to tell young people, I know you want to be happy. I want to be happy. God gave us our will, which seeks its apparent good to be happy. So let me tell you how to be happier. I want to share people an inspirational idea, share with them the idea that the happiness they long for is found in Christ and in the teachings of the church. And we're not consigning people to misery. That's not the goal of the teachings of our faith. Absolutely. And I appreciate that you say this because um, we know there is a blueprint for the human person. But unless you believe in God, uh, it's hard to see that. And I think a lot of this crisis in our culture is a crisis of faith. And that's why it's people of faith who are really standing firm and saying, no, the science, the data, all of it matches up from the psychology to the neuroscience. And yet this information is being hidden. And this is what I so appreciate about the work you were doing is you say, no, there's a blueprint for the human person, psychology, therapy, all of it matches up. But there's an agenda that is truly diabolical to say, you don't know what you are. You can't even say if you are male and female, you can't even say who or what you were attracted to. I mean, it goes so far to tell young people, you know, if you want to be a bird, identify as a bird. And I know that sounds Hmm. outrageous, but there is truly things such as this happening today. Um, Michael, something I'd like to talk to you about, and if you're just joining me, that's licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gaspar. He's on the forefront of uh, addressing as a therapist, individually with clients, as well as in the international community, uh, same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, that transgender identity many people are coming out with. Michael, can you speak a little bit to comorbidities? Because this is a thing that always gets me. I've seen time and time again, whether it's been some of the suicides of the young people who identify as transgender or many people who are experiencing uh, same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, that often there are other underlying comorbidities, um, psychological diagnoses that are not being treated or addressed, and that um, the transgender same-sex identity um, is often a symptom of the other comorbidity that was there to begin with that wasn't addressed. Can you address that issue? The data is very clear. A majority of people from countries around the world who present with gender dysphoria to these treatment centers, especially with gender dysphoria, majority of these young people for many months before that presented already with other psychiatric comorbidities. So high rates of psychiatric conditions in gender congruent, incongruent, excuse me, adolescents or adults were found in the U.S., in 10 European countries, in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and Iran. This is widely accepted. It's not controversial. Some studies even found which came first. So psychiatric disorders, like I said, came first in many cases. And this information is available through a variety of NGOs who publish their results or countries who publish their results publicly. (laughs) Switzerland, Sweden, Finland, all of these countries are publishing this data 
And the sad thing is it's not trickling down into the United States very well. Some of these countries, Timory, because the data was so overwhelming that the psychiatric conditions came before the gender dysphoria for adolescents, they have completely reversed course on the go-to methods of treatment, Finland being one of them. Finland is now advising that there be no medical interventions at all for adolescents and talk therapy be utilized as a means of addressing gender dysphoria up until the middle 20s for people in Finland. And other countries are following suit in Europe. So we may actually be seeing some sense come to the forefront after the data is showing psychiatric conditions like depression, like anxiety, like suicidal ideation, like body dysmorphia, these things can influence a child's understanding of themselves. And then when gender ideology is pushed on them, they may start to think, well, if I just resolve this gender dysphoria and I change my quote gender, then my problems will be solved. So it's looked at as uh, understandably to a child as a panacea to ease them of the suffering of their psychiatric conditions. But sadly, when you get treatment for gender dysphoria through medical interventions, it does not take away depression or these other underlying comorbidities that came or preceded for many, many teens and adolescents, the gender dysphoria itself. I really am looking forward to diving into more of this international conversation because as you're saying, other countries internationally are ahead of us in actually being candid about um, treatment and what has and has not worked. You know, I look at John Hopkins, um, John Hopkins Hospital, and how they treated you know transgender issues for some time. Even how they treated, for example, uh, the medical situation, where sometimes there are times where a person is born with damage either to the genitalia or even to their chromosomes. These are very rare instances. Um, but again, you can look at okay, how is the anatomy? Um, presenting itself or okay how are the chromosomes presenting themselves or one if one or the other is damaged and for years john hopkins um, medical facilities were actually going through with just no matter what was happening with the chromosomes with the genitalia they were choosing one direction to give an identity so they were always giving these kids i believe it was a female identity and they were doing the plastic reconstructive surgery and they were doing cross-sex hormones and when the kid was actually chromosomally evidence to be a male, um, they were able to see that these people were not doing well. They weren't faring well and that eventually, uh, you know, a desire for a transition that matched their chromosomal identity or a different solution was asked for or often there were suicides occurring because they were pumping these kids going into adulthood with cross-sex hormones that were not meant to function properly in their own body. And so you'd think that the Americans would be learning, but there's such a strong uh, movement, especially by our generation, Michael, uh, the millennial generation, to push for a transgender identity. And I am curious briefly to hear your thought on this. Why do you think our generation, the millennial generation, is pushing so heavily for this transgender identity and no other option in terms of um, in terms of just care or even a loving response? That's a complicated topic, and I do think that yeah. we can shed some light on it. But one thing is that gender ideology is top down. It's come from a variety of very powerful NGOs or what we would call like advocacy groups that are literally funding 
third world countries and as an expectation of continued funds forcing them to put gender ideology into schools through comprehensive sex education. So there are very powerful groups of people and wealthy organizations that have, I think, victimized the millennial generation in a lot of ways. And it started probably with the sexual revolution. No, we don't know exactly when or where, but probably with a generation of, of people in the late 1960s that pushed for free love and sexual revolution. But as it stands now, I think there is a really good uh, way of looking at this. Most people who want to push gender ideology mean well. And why do I think that that matters? Because instead of vilifying everybody who pushes in the millennial generation gender ideology, let's see them as people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are misguided in their sense of compassionate care for others. Because there are people who suffer. There are individuals who really suffer with gender dysphoria and same-sex attraction as a great burden to bear. And so it's good that we have compassion, but it is not good that we push gender ideology to solve the issue. In 2015 and 2018, there was an incongruent adolescent explosion. That means gender incongruent adolescence increased by 504% in Northern California. Do you get that? 504% from 2015 to 2018, the number of gender incongruent adolescents from Northern California increased by 504% and in Georgia increased by 880%. And this data is shocking. <laughs> this is shocking. It is clear that not only is the quote, compassionate response of gender affirming care helping in their mind these individuals, but it's causing, it seems to me in my opinion, to be contributing to this insane boom of gender incongruence. So not only in my opinion, Timory, is it not helpful for the individual suffering from it, but it's actually contributing to the problem growing because young people are heavily influenced by ideas. And so yes. the millennials are causing more harm than good by pushing yes. gender ideology. And I'll just kind of throw in, and I would love to talk more about this on another day. I think our generation, the millennial generation, has a very, as you said, misguided idea of what compassionate care is. And I think some of that comes from um, family of origins and this misguided understanding as to what unconditional love is and how to show that ongoing love. And they think, you know, let's just say you do you. Let's just say love is love because that's what I wanted. And I didn't have, you know, enough of a presence of a parent. I didn't have a parent present at all. Um, I, you know, parents were maybe not around enough, all these different things that they're just trying to say, let me just love and embrace you. And they're getting wrong that rules still matter in our lives. And that blueprint, as we've been talking about for the human person is so important. That's a licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. He's at the forefront of the LGBTQ crisis and helping people who are working through this. We're going to come back and talk about the international uh, therapists who are working together with Michael. A big meeting just happened in Budapest to talk about therapeutic choice when it comes to gender dysphoria and same-sex attraction. I'll be right back here on Trending with Michael Gasparro. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. There's recently an international meeting in 
Budapest addressing therapeutic choice. Therapeutic choice specifically for people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. My good friend, licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro, was there in Budapest, now in Italy, sharing some fun stories about uh, the church and the history of the church and relics earlier. But we're going to talk about that international uh, meeting of therapists and Michael, how important it is for people to understand um, the difference in the terms of how this is being addressed here in the United States versus internationally. So can you share with us a little bit about um, of the consensus from that meeting and what was going on? The meeting is through a group called the International Federation for Therapy and Counseling Choice, the IFTCC. And they're a sister organization to an organization I'm on the board for called the Alliance. And Essentially, this meeting had people from 27 countries, over 200 people from 27 countries around the world, talking about both pastoral and spiritual care, as well as psychological and medical care for individuals with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. And there was also teams of lawyers there representing countries from around the world to talk about the state of laws in respect to this issue. And one thing is really clear. Some countries, especially in the West, like Australia and the United Kingdom, are and Canada actually, are inching towards more and more radical legislation that robs parents of their God-given right to protect their children from harm. And this should be concerning. To people in the United States, we need to know that there are laws in first world countries that will criminalize and punish parents for trying to protect them from the harm of cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and other kinds of harmful medical interventions done to minors with gender dysphoria in those countries. This should raise a red flag. And when you go and you involve yourself in your community and you vote, keep in mind that we have a right and a duty to protect children from this kind of harm in the United States and to protect the rights of parents to stand up for their children if they come under the influence of some of these ideologies. And this is why the vote in California, Michigan, and Vermont was so significant. The language was hidden and people didn't realize, or some maybe did, that in California, Michigan, and Vermont, that so-called reproductive rights amendment, uh, allowing for abortion on demand and totally funded, is actually going to be a part of this whole crisis where the rights of parents are being thrown out the door, that children, through those constitutional amendments in California, Michigan, and Vermont, can receive cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and sex changes with no parental consent or notification. And you mentioned even Canada. I mean, we've heard some horror stories of parents. I'm thinking of one father in particular in Canada um, who has is not able to have any contact with his child, um, has even spent a time in jail for having tried to intervene in preventing his very young child from going through with this agenda of damaging and permanent damage from puberty blockers and sex hormones. Yeah, and we know as Catholics the encyclicals of the Catholic social teaching, for instance, Pope Leo XIII's famous Rerum Novarum, talks about the family precedes the state. So the, the family is the center point of society, and only in extreme cases should the state intercede from the family's right to self-governance. 
And so especially in regard to sexuality and gender issues, when there's no abuse involved, the state does not have the right to usurp a parent's role in guiding and protecting and educating their children on matters of faith and, and human sexuality. Now, this meeting, another thing to keep in mind is this meeting was exciting and it showed the enthusiasm and fervor of people from around the world with Christian hope in the resurrection of the body but also on earth as it is in heaven bringing God's kingdom on earth means or ordering our desires our minds our hearts and our bodies towards heaven so that means helping people heal and find wholeness in their life and seek peace and happiness according to their catholic faith or many people there timory were protestant christian some of even were muslim and we share so much in common with other people of goodwill and of serious religious traditions from around the world who just want to support those suffering according to their traditional faiths and the momentum is not publicly discussed but it's on our side if we can stand up and have the courage because people from all around the world share this common mission and this common passion and the the miracles shared about well i guess you could call it the it might not be miracle but the beauty of people's healing they experience people who have found marriages and heterosexual marriages people who live chastely and celibately all people people who had detransitioned from transgender ideology and now are happily living according to their biological sex and even getting married to the opposite sex these are stories we don't hear in the public narrative very often and they deserve to be heard and told to give people hope and encouragement i am so excited to hear about this international meeting of therapists in budapest where you are all truly champions on the forefront working individually with clients as well as involved in activism the legal side to help protect children parents rights it's such an encouraging note and again it astounds me when we take a step back and whether it's the abortion issue or the gender issue to see that the united states or we could argue much of the developed western world has some of the most barbaric and um barbaric and damaging laws for the destruction of human life through abortion for things such as surrogacy and now for this bodily mutilation and manipulation through hormones and surgeries that this is happening and yet you look at other countries uh sometimes i know you mentioned finland and switzerland or we even look to places such as africa where they're kind of standing their ground on these issues and not allowing um for this manipulation of the human person and that god-given blueprint of the body that we all know is correct uh, to be stymied or blocked or confused by any agenda uh, that is out there so it's really exciting to hear this message michael that you're sharing with us about the international therapy community and all of the activism and effort that you have been engaged in i want to thank you again for joining me today for giving us candid information when so little is available about the truth of what's happening uh with regard to what does and doesn't work um in what isn't is not a solution for anyone who might be struggling with our identity same sex attraction um so thank you again if you'd like to learn more about Michael Sparrow you can find him at catholictherapist.com I'll post the link in the episode notes just find that at relevantradio.com/trending and please share this enlightening conversation with Michael Gasparo with a friend people need to hear this information because they are being told something drastically otherwise the information is being suppressed and we need to help this next generation who is being completely bombarded 
by saying you can't even know who or what you are. So find the links on social media, send this episode to a friend. That's been Michael Gasparro here on Trending with Timory.